Welcome to Reframe Your Life, a podcast for women who think differently and want to explore ideas and topics relevant to all areas of their life. Hi, Life Reframers, and welcome to episode 28. I have Sandy here with me. Hi, Sandy. Hi, Joanne. How are you today? I'm really good. I know we are both super excited today because we have a guest with us today. We have uh, one of my friends, Erin Power, with us to talk about reframing our relationship with food. And uh, I know we've both been looking forward to this, Sandy, and I feel like we already have to have her on again for a, like a follow-up episode later or something, even before we've started chatting. So, I so, agree. <laughs> let me introduce Erin. Erin uh, started her career journey as a writer and has spent over 20 years in marketing, business development, and business communications. Alongside that, she spent 20-plus years and counting in the fitness industry as a personal trainer and group fitness instructor. And this is where I was fortunate enough to meet Erin out west. Having decided upon a career change, and we'll get the story from Erin as to why she changed her career, she is now a registered holistic nutritionist and coaches and nurtures people along the scary path to massive lifestyle change. Erin's mission is to enable everyone to achieve an effortless relationship with food once and for all. Welcome, Erin. Thanks so much for your time. We are both very excited to have you with us today. Hey, guys. I'm super pumped too. Really looking forward to it. All right, so we'll get straight into it because um, we just really <laughs> want to hear <laughs> hear your journey and, and have a few questions. But when I met you, you were in marketing and, and communications for, uh, and then a few years ago, yeah, you decided to change careers. So tell us kind of how you got there. What, what journey in life kind of made you decide, I really want to be a holistic nutritionist? Well, my journey started with a bit of a health crisis of my own. Um, you know, I, I, I did have a decently successful progressive career in marketing communications, and it, it almost like makes me cringe to say things like that now, like oh, progressive. And I was good at it. it. I had an aptitude toward writing. So that was a good career to get into. And I was a young person trying to, you know, make a name for myself and make some money. But, you know, I think a lot of us, when we get into our mid to late 30s, we start to really, well, I hope I hope some of us start to look at what we're doing and, and question whether it's really an authentic expression of who we are. And I was already starting to have those, those thoughts rolling in my head. But I was also having a bit of a health crisis. And I really, I use the word crisis very loosely, like, please take it with a grain of salt, because I was just noticing that. Um, my body wasn't working the way I had kind of expected it should be. Joe, you mentioned like we've been we've been in the fitness industry for a long time, and what we do, we teach fitness classes. We should be the picture of fitness and health, and and I wasn't. I, I just wasn't. Um, I was eating all the healthy foods you're supposed to eat. I I didn't do anything wrong. I did everything right, and I still kind of got fat and sick, <laughs> and it didn't make any sense. So I went to my doctor, who um, I saw once a year for like 15 minutes um and uh <laughs> usually usually I'd roll in there and I'd be kind of medically boring and and she, you know, I had nothing to say but this one year I as she was kind of fleeing the room I said wait I actually have a medical concern I want to bring up with you and I, I mentioned some of this stuff that I was experiencing I was having really really unmanageable energy levels like I can't even describe to you how bad my energy was I couldn't stay awake um at work, like at meetings, I had to stand in meetings. Otherwise, I'd be nodding off at the boardroom table. I couldn't drive anywhere without having without nodding off behind the wheel. And when I was teaching my classes and having my workouts, I needed to be constantly just constantly fueling myself with like carbohydrate gels and orange juice the whole time. It my body just wasn't working, and and I was also putting on a ton of abdominal weight very quickly. It didn't make sense because I was burning a lot of calories. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you. So. You know, kudos to my doctor, who's a Western doctor and didn't know me very well. But she said, it sounds to me like you're pre-diabetic. Wow. And I was like, what the heck? Ooh. Like, what is that? Like, this is, you know, back probably, gosh, I don't know, eight, eight or nine years ago. And um, I said, what does that mean? And she said, well, ultimately it means that eventually you'll become type 2 diabetic and potentially be reliant on insulin injections. And it's no big deal because your mom is type 2 diabetic. So you know, this and that. And I, I kind of just in that moment, 
rejected that diagnosis. And I knew a little bit about what diabetes was. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, I'm not living the lifestyle of a person who becomes diabetic. And she also dropped a few bombs about how lifestyle comes into play. She said, well, you know, you have a really stressful job. It makes you unhappy. And that can play into this too. And that was a real eye opener for me. Oh. It was like, holy smokes, you mean to tell me that that stress and, and ha- unhappiness and bad sleep and, and all of these things can contribute to the experience I was having. Cause I, all I knew was calories in calories out. That's what I've been telling people for 20 years, you know, like just got to burn it, burn it and earn it. That's all you got to do. And mm-hmm. it all sorts itself out. So ultimately that's what happened. And then it made me start questioning everything I'd ever told ev- anybody in the fitness industry. Like, Oh my goodness, I feel so bad. And you know, everyone's mileage will vary. But when I think back to the, all the hours I spent in the gym leading people through fitness classes, mm-hmm. I honestly can say that most people weren't succeeding. <laughs> mm-hmm. They were showing up, they were dedicated to the programs, they're fun, they come and do the workout, they like the workout, but nobody was actually moving the needle on whatever their weight loss goals or their health goals. And I think it's because we were giving them the wrong advice. Advice. And I'm, as the, I th- when I say we, I mean the fitness industry, who's kind of mm-hmm. been leading the charge on diet, really. So anyway, long and the short of it is that's what got me thinking differently about food. And I did a lot of experimentation and actually brought myself back from the brink of type 2 diabetes really quickly, very quickly. I, I managed to change the way my body looked, the way my body felt very quickly by making a few key changes. And then I became really crazy about it, like evangelical, like I couldn't talk <laughs> about it. So I decided I needed to go to school. I needed to go to school and get a credential so I could make this my new thing. I'm going to go get a credential so I can open a business. And then I, I justified in preaching uh, to people. <laughs> and that's, that's how the career came out ultimately. Wow. So I'm going to jump in right away. So I am brain exploding here, (laughs) (laughs) resonating with so much of what you have said right now in my life. So I'm in my late 50s and finding my energy really waning and all the things that you're describing. So so what were these changes you made? Like, I'm just curious, you said you made some changes and saw some quick results. So the changes that I made were there were the nutrition nutrition changes. So I changed the food and, and, and sort of when and why I was eating food. Uh, that came about by researching a lot of these metabolic hormones, which are ultimately at the heart of, of diabetes. Uh, so insulin is the big hormone that comes into play with diabetes, obviously, but there's mm. a handful of other metabolic hormones that work in concert with insulin, um, like cortisol, which is the stress hormone, and then leptin and ghrelin, which are these appetite regulating hormones. And they all work together. And the body is really a beautiful symphony of these metabolic hormones and all these hormones in our bodies that do, uh, that perform all of the t- tasks that really keep us sort of running like the machines that we are. So I really, I had to set out to learn about those hormones first. And once I learned about how them and how they're meant to optimally work, nutrition changes made sense to me. So it actually wasn't hard mentally for me to make these changes because it all made sense. I educated myself first, then I implemented the changes and, and the results come quickly when you start to nurture and balance your metabolic hormones. So I immediately noticed an increase in my energy level. That was the first thing I noticed that was that that, in that moment, I think within two weeks, my energy soared to heights I'd never experienced before. And in that moment, I was like, okay, this is how I eat from now on. Mm. Like nothing has changed. This is, this is my new diet. And then the abdominal weight started falling off and a lot of other great things uh, continued to happen from there. Um, so what did I specifically do? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's a big, it's a big protocol in some ways because you, you eliminated a lot of things. You have to th- start thinking about the food groups in different ways because some of them are less essential than we've been led to believe. It's a paradigm shift, really. We got to shift our fuel source away from what we've generally been led to believe as uh, carbohydrate is our main fuel source. And you kind of have to start thinking about alternate fuel sources that are more reliable and that your hormones can actually use in a more sustained way, such as protein and fat. So mm-hmm. it's really just sort of changing the balance of these macronutrients on your plate. That's a really high level um, description of the changes that I made. I also quit my job. Which um, a lot of people won't do. Uh, I've actually done it twice in my life where I've had a job that was just bringing me down. And I was like, nope, I'm out with nothing else lined up. I mean, for me, um, I'm a health and wellness junkie. And mm. I, I'll i never let a job get in the way of, of my ultimate health. 
that's completely unrealistic for a lot of people and I get it and it probably sounds irresponsible, but I have to credit that change with also moving the needle on my health concerns too, taking that stress away for sure. You mentioned hormones and all of the stress that you were feeling, the lack of sleep. It's It really is underestimated on how important it is. It is. It's good that you had that awareness. I think a lot of people don't. And but But I also think a lot of people in this day and age, quote unquote, are coming around to this more holistic approach to wellness where they're like, you know, what in my life is in my control? And am I really happy? And am I really getting the quality of life that I'm looking for? So it's it's neat because I mean, you know, we, we were raised by baby boomers who are like the hardest working people ever who just went to a job every day for 50 years for meager pay because that's what yeah. you did. And uh, it's hard for us to break out of that work ethic to say, mm. I want to work hard. I like working hard, but what has it really gotten me? You know, wow, I got a fat yeah. paycheck. I got an impressive business card. Big deal. You know, eventually at some point that stops being important for some of us. And for some of us, it doesn't stop being important. So you just got to figure out where you fall on that spectrum. I want to talk a little bit more about this. I love how you framed. I mean, your whole story was a reframe. I love that. But I love how you framed your business. It's really around the relationship you have with food. And I've been following your journey over the last few years. Like you said, my first nutrition 101 course was that diagram of that plate and <laughs> fat is bad, fat is bad, fat is bad. And, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and you know, even when you started posting and blogging, I'm like, not sure, mm, okay, what's worked for me, you know. <laughs> and I've started... <laughs> started to come around um, because I've been playing around with different different way of eating for myself over the last few years too. So your philosophy on food, you've mentioned a lot about paleo in your previous blogs and your posts. You've mentioned a lot about fat and protein as your main energy source, I guess. So yeah, just share a little bit about what you feel is most important in terms of eating. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Well, I, um, so I do align with paleo and it's funny because when I got that, that dubious diagnosis from my, my doctor, the pre-diabetes thing, <laughs> and she started mentioning insulin and, and I, I was doing all this reading and research. That's when the, like, that's when my, my top really blew off. I was like, man, this is so fussy. Everything about this is so bewilderingly fussy. And I'm mm. annoyed that I have have to be in the bookstore buying books learning how my metabolism is how my cells are meant to be fed like this is an, it was annoying me and I was feeling annoyed and frustrated on behalf of like everybody <laughs> you know like I was I was really you know taking this on myself um so I literally googled because I out of frustration I was like you know what I, I'm a crazy pet lady right I, I have I have a dog I have two cats I got five horses so my dog <laughs> eats a biologically appropriate dog diet he eats an omnivore diet because he's an omnivore my cats are carnivores they eat a biologically appropriate carnivore diet they eat meat my horses are herbivores they graze on grass I would never feed my horses meat I would never feed my cats grass you know this this is how this works mm. right biologically appropriate diet Mm. And I was like, what is the biologically appropriate diet for a human? So I literally Googled this. This is like eight years ago. So mm. I was ahead of the curve. But I literally mm. Googled, what did cavemen eat? <laughs> and, <laughs> unfortunately, that's where the paleo diet comes in. So I was like, okay, let's explore this. I hadn't heard of it before. But it was in line with all this insulin balancing stuff that I had been reading and it made a lot of sense to me. So I did align myself with it. But I n- actually never use the P word in my practice. I don't no. say I'm putting you on okay. a paleo diet. I don't. <laughs> I, I say we're going to shift your fuel source away from carbohydrate toward fat and protein. We're going to focus all your meals on meat, veg, and fat. Um, you know, for the purpose of fueling your cells. And I mean, this is a Pandora's box that I don't think I need to open here now. But mm-hmm. um, your cells run on one thing. The fuel your cells run on is not the calorie your cells run on glucose, it runs on sugar. So that's where we've been led to believe that carbohydrate is a fuel source because carbohydrates, a bunch of sugar stuck together. I'll, I mean, like, mm-hmm. I'm really simplifying the science here, but yeah, that's what carbohydrate is. When you eat carbohydrate, it digests down immediately into sugar. Fat and protein, they digest down into, as we know, the fatty acids and the, the amino acids, both of which, sorry, neither of which your cells can use. Those are just giant big molecules and they have other things to do in the body fatty acids need to go and support our brain health our neurons our our, um, nervous system the amino acids are out there building muscles and tissues right so when we think about macronutrients which is the fuel parts of food 
um, carbohydrate seems to be the logical choice for fuel at the cellular level until you consider the fact that the body is really freaking smart and it can make glucose out of fatty acids and out of amino acids. It can break those products down into glucose. And that process is much slower. It has to go to the liver, be converted mm. to triglycerides, converted to glucose. And so we can deliver glucose to the cells more slowly. When we really emphasize carbohydrate as fuel, we're just dumping glucose into the bloodstream at an alarming rate, way more than the cells could need. And then what the cells kind of do is they kind of slam the door. They're like, look, I was a little bit hungry, but I'm not that hungry. So I'm just going to slam the door and those glucose molecules floating around in your bloodstream, they get to get shuttled away to the body and store uh, to the liver and store it as fat on the body. So mm -hmm. Insulin is a hormone that decides if this glucose is going to go into the cell as food or if it's going to get stored in your body as fuel for later. Insulin is at the heart of that. And if your insulin function is messed up, that whole thing falls apart such that almost everything you eat just gets immediately stored as fuel. And there's a really long explanation and like an entire puppet show that I like to do about insulin resistance, <laughs> um, which is really at a high level what I just described. Um, but, but that's what happened to me. That's why I became pre-diabetic. And that's why I became so chubby all of a sudden. That's why I had no energy because my cells were not getting any of the food I was eating. It was bouncing off the cells and getting stored on my belly, bouncing mm. off the cells and getting stored on my belly. So my belly was getting bigger and my cells were getting hungrier. And then that creates this whole like crazed hangry experience like we go like after two or three hours you're hangry you're just flipping over tables and like freaking out because you haven't eaten because you're self-starving and they're sending the starvation signal to your brain and your brain is triggering a fight or flight response because the brain's like whoa we're starving down there we need some glucose up in here and then you're eating you know skittles <laughs> it, yeah. there's just it's just a real it's a real snowball effect but um, fixing insulin function is is one of the big steps we can take to improve that and to improve insulin function we have to just start delivering glucose more slowly to the bloodstream so mm. three ways you do that by protein eating protein eating fat and eating fiber pff protein fat fiber those are the three things that deliver glucose slowly to your bloodstream mm -hmm. and good fat you're talking Okay, so like right off the bat, I, I have this kind of bratty approach to nutrition. I'm a little bit of a brat. <laughs> Take this with a grain of salt, Joe, because I wasn't I'm not coming at you. But but this whole like, oh, healthy fats, you mean thing where people say, Oh, you mean like a serving of healthy fats? I'm like, no, I mean like trans fats free from the, the drinking trans fats from the deep fry. What do you think I mean? Of course I mean healthy fats. I'm talking about, you know, <laughs> quality protein but like fatty cuts of of meat and, and yes. fish and nuts and seeds and avocado oils and coconut products uh yeah of course healthy fats like what, what i mean who's going to eat unhealthy fats like yeah well that's the thing is what is yeah. an unhealthy fat <laughs> yes, an unhealthy exactly. fat um obviously you know trans fats those ones that have been hydrogenated yeah. and made are unhealthy they have really bad effects in our body but then so we have things like canola oil, vegetable oil, corn oil, all of these these seed oils that are relatively modern and man-made in our in our lives. And the issue with these oils is that their omega-3 fatty acid ratio to omega-6 fatty acid ratio, they're kind of out of whack. They have more sixes than threes. And when the ratio is sort of upside down like that, those oils are actually inflammatory. Omega-6 in high doses is, is inflammatory. So we got to bring we got to look for fats that have a more favorable omega-3 profile. And that would be your coconut oils, your avocado oils, your olive oils, mm -hmm. your fish, your nuts, your seeds. So for me, unhealthy fats are canola oil and corn oil. Like, But nobody else is probably talking about it in that way. Most people, when they say a serving of healthy fat, they're talking about like seven almonds or something ridiculous like that. And I just don't roll in those circles. <sighs> I think the way you've explained it really makes sense. I don't know, mm -hmm. Sandy, you've probably never heard this before. I'm curious to no. hear what you're Okay, so Erin, <laughs> I am the non-nutritionist, non-I don't work out at a gym <laughs> of the two of, you know, of the three of us here on this call. I am way on another side of the spectrum of the two of you. Although health and well-being is very important to me. Uh -oh. I'm just seeing my potato chip habit in a different light right now. <laughs> Somehow not Good. feeling like you're selling potato chips on your website. So, um no, it's really, it's really good for me. I mean, I probably come from that calories in, calories out mindset mm -hmm. that you were talking about. That's, that's where I, 
I see. Although about four years ago, I had cancer and I, um, during that time, one of the changes I made was eliminating refined sugars from my diet. And that's made a huge difference for me. I, I feel like it was one step, like I have more steps I can take on the journey, but that was a really big one for me because I was quite a chocolate bar candy person and uh, eliminating refined sugars really changed a lot of things for me in how I feel and how I think I look and my weight. I think I lost 20 pounds pretty quickly doing that. Yep. Well, I wouldn't be surprised because sugar is a thing that makes us fat, not fat. Mm. Um, elim eliminating, eliminating refined sugars is a, is a great place to start. And I think, I think everybody should do that. I mean, obviously, hi, I'm a nutritionist. Quit eating chocolate bars. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I, and, and as, a, as a cancer approach to cancer, you know, dealing with cancer, it's a really smart way of going because, you know, depending on where your beliefs lie on the cancer uh, topic, and I, I really hesitate to go there. I've had some cancer patients as clients as well, and there's a lot of different um, ideas floating around out there. Uh, you have to really tread lightly, but one of the ideas is the cancer cells and uh, kind of feed on sugar. So that's one theory that's out there in the world so you know reducing sugar it can almost never hurt like it will literally never hurt you to reduce refined sugars in your life it's funny because here we it's january it's the early january right now and a lot of people are embarking on these sugar cleanses sugar <laughs> detoxes which added sugars in food is an obvious problem so mm -hmm. i mean the, the first way to mitigate that problem is to stop eating processed foods because they're they're not adding sugar to broccoli you know like it's added sugar only happens in food that's being manufactured, right? Right. Um, and the amount of sugar in our food is a really important statistic to become aware of, right? It's important to know how much sugar is in your food and maybe try to bring that down. But, but what I want to think about too, and equally important is the amount of sugar in your blood. Because a lot of things that don't inherently seem sugary become a heck of a lot of sugar in the blood. And that creates this insulin sort of snowball effect that I described earlier. So, I mean, I, I like to be supportive of people when they go on these sugar cleanses. I think I talked to three gals at the gym today who were starting their sugar cleanse today. And I, being the obnoxious, I didn't tell them I was a nutritionist, but I just was like, oh, that's great. So what kind of stuff are you eliminating? Like, like you, and they were mainly eliminating added sugar. So I'm like, oh, okay, that's good. That's always good. Don't get me wrong. That's always good. But I wish people would start to think about how sugar in the blood really influences our biochemistry. Because like Sandy, to your point, you you had a sweet tooth mm -hmm. and you admit it. And then let me ask you this. When you eliminated sugar, did you find your palate for sweet things changing? Did your, your sweet tooth kind of at least diminish a little bit or maybe go away? Yes, very much. So now when I want something sweet, I have a date and I feel like that's so sweet. And it is sweet. Dates are sweet. But yeah. I, um, yeah, I, I don't have any cravings for sugary foods anymore at yeah. all. Yeah. See, that's what I'm talking about is, is the biochemistry of that. So mm -hmm. a lot of times, a lot of times sugar cravings, stress eating, emotional eating, all of these things are actually being triggered by your cells who are starved for sugar and requesting it from your brain. You know, like we feel like we're out of control and in a way we are, but it's not because you're a failure or you're some kind of miserable sweet tooth having just, you're doomed forever to be, you know, owned and dominated by your sweet tooth. We can actually change our, our palate for sweet things. We can change our emotional response to sweet things and our biochemical response to sweet things by just kind of coming away from it for a period of time. So that goes for obvious sweet things and that goes for things that turn into sugar in your bloodstream. So it's important. That's why I like it's important people to become aware of their carbohydrate intake, because if it's not a high fiber carbohydrate, then that's probably breaking down to to a lot of sugar in your bloodstream and just prolonging um, the sweet tooth or the stress eating or the emotional eating or whatever or the pre-diabetes, whatever situation you're dealing with. Mm. Could you give us some examples of those carbohydrates that we should be avoiding? Don't say potato <laughs> chips, please. Don't say potato chips. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? <laughs> <laughs> if your potato chips were fried in avocado oil, maybe, but they're, they're <laughs> canola oil, so right off the bat, it's like, you know, what to, what to avoid? So, gosh, again, a Pandora's box. Yes. Um, so, right off the bat, I just want to set the stage by saying I like fruit. Fruit has a lot of great nutrients in it, lots mm -hmm. of vitamins and phytochemicals, um, but most fruit is a sugar bomb. So, now, 
let's say a banana. I'm going to use the banana as an example because it's a very popular fruit and it's a very popular fruit in uh, fitness nutrition. People mm-hmm. are eating bananas, bananas in their smoothies or whatever. Big time smoothie ingredient. Oh mm-hmm. my God, big time. Everybody puts bananas in their smoothies. I'm putting some fruit in there. This is good, right? It's like, well, unfortunately, right. bananas don't come in very high on the fiber scale. So right. that's just a big old hit of fast sugar. It's like this fast carb, slow carb thing. And you can Google that, fast right. carbs and slow yeah. carbs. Right. That's the glycemic index you hear people talking about quite a, quite a lot. Um, so banana uh, fruit, great, but very high in sugar, very high in fast sugar. Now you go to like the pear. Okay, again, a very nice, sweet, juicy fruit, but tons of fiber. I mean, you're eating the peel for starters. And, you know, pears have that mealy, fleshy te- flesh to them, and that's they're a higher fiber fruit. So they're just a little bit slower. They deliver the sugar more slowly into your bloodstream. Mm-hmm. So there's the fruit. Thing you got to really watch your fruit, and it's just it's just good to know which ones are higher in fiber and which ones aren't. Like I give my clients a list of like approved mm. fruits. These ones are high in fiber. If you're going to eat fruit, have berries, have pears, have grapefruit. Um, you know things like starchy tubers. Okay, so potatoes and even sweet potatoes. For my money, that's a bigger hit of fast carbohydrate than you need. Um, ditto legumes. So like beans. Beans often get touted as being this amazing vegetarian protein source mm-hmm. um i mean there's a bit of protein in there it's not a complete protein you have to mix it with other things to complete the protein but meanwhile it's a huge lump of starch it's just a little lump of starch going it's just very starchy carbohydrate some mm. beans have a lot of fiber in them so certain types of beans have more fiber um you can really get into the weeds of which beans are good and which ones are bad so for my money i just don't even eat them it's like i'm not going to run the risk i like having my blood sugar in balance i like having my insulin in balance. I'm not going to risk it by eating a navy bean or a pinto bean and seeing which one <laughs> influences my blood sugar more or less. Eh, it's like easier for me to eliminate those altogether. And mm. because my company is called Simple, and I'm all about simplifying people's relationships with food, in, in my opinion, um, it's simpler to say, let's avoid all beans instead of saying, you can have these four beans, but you can't eat those 11 beans. You know, right. Mean? certainly making sense to me and I hope it's making sense to our listeners. When I was back living in England, I I bought this book and it was actually written by an Australian doctor in 1987 and it was just simply called The Liver Cleansing Diet and it wasn't one of these one week all you eat is cucumbers and all that kind of stuff. It was a two-month process and I just recall Ashley did it with me because her whole front of the book was all about the mechanics of the liver and what it did and what it didn't do. And it wasn't hard. I was going back to what you say, like just eliminate processed stuff. You can get good food <laughs> without it being processed. Yeah, there was lots of other different uh, different things we kind of could and couldn't eat. But you're really just trying to help people understand the liver and the liver's way of processing food. So. For sure. I mean, the liver is a very important organ. It's funny because when I went to holistic nutrition school, uh, liver the liver gets a, a pretty big building in, in the holistic mm crowd, right? I mean, it's it's the main detoxification organ. Well, the liver and the kidneys kind of kind of share the load there. When the liver is overburdened, it, it can't, it just can't, it can't help. It, you can't be healthy when your liver is overburdened. And with, what overburdens mm. the liver is toxic load, right? So that can be eating processed foods, of course. That's where the trans fats, the hydrogenated fats come in. They really afflict the liver uh, poorly. But even things like the chemicals that you're eating, so like you said, Joe, just eliminating processed foods <laughs> right there, you, you, you're supporting the liver. Eliminating processed food supports the liver. Eliminating processed food supports your insulin balance. It supports your gut health. It supports your everything. Like just don't eat that crap. I eat real food. <laughs> and, like Because there are, there are foods, I'm sure you read in your book, that support the liver specifically, like beets and lemon and there's yes. whatever, certain foods that are really known to support the liver. And you can take a really a really focused approach that way. If you say, I want to get my liver on track, I'm going to do a liver protocol. We, I have one of those. I have a liver protocol I can deliver to people. You know, you, there's, right. you, there's all kinds of, but for my money, for simplicity's sake, if we focus on all uh, anti-inflammatory whole foods diet that balances our metabolic hormones, it really moves the needle on a lot of things, thyroid, liver, like I said, intestinal health, you name it. It's just, it's just a really simple place to start. Mm, yeah, well, and that's what you're all about, the, re- the whole relationship with food and, and simplicity. So can you share a story where you've seen a dramatic change in a client's overall well-being? Well, I, uh, it's funny because this just happened. I had this client um, who emailed me. She was a client from last year, 
she went on my, it was like my weight loss program. And to be honest with you, just to set the stage, a lot of clients who come to me um, aren't necessarily looking for weight loss um, as their main health concern. They're like, I want to feel better. I want to understand food better. And if I could lose this 15 pounds around my belly, that would be great. And so that's, that's right in my wheelhouse. Like you know, yeah. they say, your vibe, your tribe, right? So I'm like, okay, great. These people are finding me. I can help them. That's good. So this gal came to me. I put her on my, my sort of anti-inflammatory uh, whole foods insulin balancing protocol with, an, with the, the sort of the weight loss um, sort of focus. And she did it for about eight weeks, uh, which is about how long I stay with a client is eight weeks. She lost some weight. She was getting it. She was like, this makes sense. I love it. I love eating this way. It's great. I'm like, perfect. Wonderful. Now, my perfect world, um, after eight weeks, a client, you know, leaves the nest. They go off on their life with this new relationship with food. They continue to lose weight because once you heal your metabolic hormones, that never stops. You just keep lo honestly losing fat off your body until it's gone. It's a beautiful thing. Um, and, and in, in my perfect world, nobody would ever have to hire a nutritionist again. Like in the perfect world, I'd be out of business. That would be amazing, right? Um, so she went off and uh, and I didn't hear from her. You know, I didn't expect to, but she sent me an email. This was like January 1st of all days. <laughs> so yeah, like a full year after we'd worked together, basically. And she said, I wanted to tell you my story, Erin, because I, I think you'd like to know it. And I was like, oh, great. So after we finished um she said I, she said I got it I understood it I was living it it was good then she said and then some weird stresses came into my life and my job got really stressful and busy and all these things piled on and I, I kind of fell off and I, I forgot how to eat and I forgot how good it made me feel and I started eating the way I used to again and and I just I just started feeling so bad she said and I saw a picture of myself like maybe five or six months later and I had put all my weight back on and then some and I was I was so annoyed with myself. She said, she said, even though we weren't working together anymore, Erin, I still continue to read your blog and read all your rants on Facebook and social media. <laughs> so I was continuing. That, that's, that's the continuing education, honestly, for my yes. clients is like read my stuff. And she said, I was reading it. It was making sense. And I just decided, my husband and I both decided, you know what? Erin told us how to do this. We know how to do this. Let's just do it ourselves. Let's just do it ourselves. We'll get back on track. Let's just do it once and for all. We feel like crap. We felt good and now we feel really bad. Yes. We remember how, how it felt to feel good and I want to feel good again. So they they kind of pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps and went back on the plan and they're both down, I think, a collective total of something like 45 pounds or something and this was only in a couple of months. They really took to it and they lost tons of weight and they never looked or felt better. And the reason why this is a success story is because I like it when somebody falls off. Because you, you literally don't know how bad you feel until you have felt good. Yes. So true. And yeah. so true. We, we, we downregulate our sensitivity to feeling bad. Like, if you, you know, like, you feel bad for 30 years, you don't even notice that you feel bad anymore. Yes. Like, you just, it's, it's like this analogy of walking into a room at like a party and somebody at the party is wearing a really strong perfume. And at first you walk in and all you can smell that perfume it's like ugh, it's overpowering gross but then 15 or 20 minutes later you don't really notice it anymore mm -hmm. but if you were to leave the room and come back into the room you'd notice it again and that's that's down regulation and our body learned how to down regulate itself uh, its sensitivity to things that was a survival mechanism we had to learn how to live with things when it when crap got bad so we've just down regulated our sensitivity to how bad we feel and the only way you're going to notice how bad you feel is if you feel good so so this happens a lot. Clients will go on my program, they'll feel good, then they'll fall off. It happens mm -hmm. almost every time, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. They fall off, they, mm -hmm. feel, they feel bad, they feel real bad. Now they're aware of how bad they feel. That usually is the kick in the pants to say, I think I'm just going to eat like this forever. Well, and from an adult education perspective, which is my background, that's how we learn, right? We people yeah. learn experientially so you know we we take we don't just take steps forward we when we're learning something we take steps forward and then we take steps back and then we take steps forward but we're kind of on this trajectory where we're hopefully continuing yeah. to move forward so but what's funny is like when somebody when somebody's asking me or, or when the conversation of like client success comes up i virtually never can i can never recall oh yeah Sally lost 40 pounds or Bob lost 12 inches I don't I just don't operate on that kind of sort of metric for mm -hmm. me it's like I had a client that came to me she had 
at a big celebration dinner. And usually their thing was for birthdays or celebrations, they'd go and have this big slab of cheesecake. And she said, you know, we were going to go for cheesecake. And I said, hey, let's go to the steakhouse instead. And I ordered the grass-fed steak with like a double side of asparagus. And I was like, that's such a success. Like you've just created a, a habit. You've, yes. you've changed your habit even around your celebration dinners you've made an amazing choice like I'm looking for people who are making habit changes uh, whether it shows up on the scale or not that's what that's the thing that people uh, clients typically want to see but what I'm looking for is if the habit change is there if there's some sort of sign of like an aha moment really resonate with what you say because I mean in just my journey and then going through the Christmas week I just kind of went ballistic and, and I felt terrible like I felt <laughs> crap for a week and I'm like mm-hmm. I uh, had to drop into Tim Hortons and get a cup of tea this morning. The person in front of me ordered the thing of Timbits and the Pepsi or the Coke or whatever they sell at Tim Hortons, and I'm like, that stuff just is not even appealing to me. And I'm sorry if I'm, if, I'm sorry if you like not you, but our listeners like that. But <laughs> I've just found that I've changed my mindset, and I really kind of question, okay, what value add is this adding? Like what nutrients is this adding to my body and how is it going to make me feel? I did. I had a lasagna and it was really nice while I was eating it, but it was not doing good things to my stomach after. So I was like, okay, mm-hmm. it doesn't like that. That is my experience with pizza. That's my pizza <laughs> experience every single time. It's like, I think I'm going to have a piece of pizza. and then I, It's it's pretty good. And then yeah. I feel miserable. Yeah. <laughs> like never doing that again. Yeah. It's okay. Dominating I'm just over here going, what? No pizza? <laughs> one of the questions that we had because we are you know our podcast is for really women over 40 is kind of our demographic but joanne and i are in two different generations and so we were curious about that question as what do we need to focus on as women specifically at different stages of our life is there anything or is it like a just eating a certain way works all through your life or do you find that people need to refocus their eating um, differently at different stages? Yeah, that's a really good question. I I am having a lot of women coming to me with uh, symptoms that that would shore up to a condition that's uh, known as perimenopause. Okay, so Mm -hmm. these are women who might like my age, like like late 30s, early 40s, people people are not close to menopause. But this perimenopause condition, for example, um, didn't really even that didn't even exist, maybe a generation ago, I don't think that word existed. It's just one of those terms that sort of the medical community has created to describe a collection of symptoms, much like IBS, or Mm -hmm. polycystic ovarian syndrome, we have a lot of new disease names (laughs) these days that just that aren't really diseases per se, but but people show up at the doctor with a bunch of symptoms and the doctor's like, well, we got to diagnose this person with something. So let's just call it perimenopause. Okay, you're in perimenopausal. <laughs> and uh, I was experiencing this too. So uh, not at the risk of sounding like a broken record. Um, if you do choose uh, a whole foods anti-inflammatory <laughs> Mm. hormone balancing diet for your entirety of your life it actually really helps you when you get into perimenopause and eventually into menopause so you know ladies listening who are in your early 30s get on this now because you can actually save yourself a lot of this transitional sort of crap that we're going through right now right so the worst part about perimenopause and menopause ultimately is some of the really uncomfortable symptoms that you live with which would be you know the big ones the big three are the hot flashes, the night sweats, and the insomnia. But there's also the little belly abdominal weight gain that you get. Mm. Um, so abdominal weight almost always comes back to hormonal sort of weight deposition. So if we can get your metabolic hormones um, dialed in, that helps that. Of course, anything menopause-related or for women's health concerns, we're talking about the sex hormones. But and I, I don't want to open, you know, get it too much into the weeds on this either, but like we have estrogen, we have progesterone, and those two hormones uh, sex hormones directly correlate to insulin and cortisol. When estrogen is high and progesterone is low, that influences the re- the relationship of cortisol and insulin. And, and all of these things, long story short, really lend themselves to abdominal weight gain. Mm. So if we can balance the metabolic hormones, we can, pro- we can bring those sex hormones into balance alongside. Uh, one of the things that I have found in my research on perimenopause and menopause that I thought was quite interesting um, because as a sidebar, I don't, despite being a fitness person, I don't bring fitness into my nutrition practice at all. I, 
I actually think people can lose weight, feel better, move the needle on their health concerns in the absence of exercise most times. Mm -hmm. So I like them to focus on the food stuff, getting the food thing dialed in. And then if exercise is a thing you want to introduce in your life, you know, go for it. But where women's health is concerned, um, for perimenopause and menopause specifically, there's tons of research to support exercise on the ends of the intensity spectrum for managing these horrible symptoms. So that means very low intensity exercise. So like walking, like strolling. I'm not talking about like power walking. I'm talking about strolling. Okay. Um, tai Chi, like really restorative mm. yoga classes. So the very low intensity stuff that's, that's really um, part and parcel of like stress management kind of thing. Those really enjoyable things that help you calm your mind um, and aren't intense by any stretch of the imagination. Those are very beneficial as are very high intensity type training. So uh, high intensity interval classes, um, you know, sprints, <laughs> really, really hard stuff, right? The hard stuff. What we want to try to avoid is that sort of black hole in the middle and Joe, this is kind of where you and I spend a lot of our time, unfortunately, mm -hmm. maybe not you and I anymore, but when we were fitness instructors, uh, mm -hmm. more actively we did, is this sort of like middle zone where you're kind of at a high intensity for a really long time and it's hard. Mm. That doesn't have any real um, support for these, these symptoms. Um, so what the high intensity mm. interval stuff does is it starts to control your vasomotor response. And this is the, the, the constriction and expansion of your blood vessels that creates the hot flashes and the night, the night sweats. So if we can sort of take control of our own body heat regulation system by really pushing our fitness intensity, then it actually diminishes those symptoms quite a bit. So that was one interesting thing I thought. So my perimenopause and menopause protocols have a fitness component to them. They're the only ones of any of my protocols that do because there's actually so much research to support that. Um, Food-wise, though, I don't think it's any different. I don't think we have to, I, again, I don't think food has to be fussy. I think we have to get away from the fussiness of food. Just choose proper mm -hmm. foods, whole healthy foods, and it will support you no matter what. Um, there are some herbal supplements that can support women's health as well. So specifically where menopause is concerned, because that's kind of where I went with this. Um, there's like this, er, this uh, herb or plant called black cohosh that's been really kind of rising up the ranks in terms of a, a good menopause supplement. I don't know much about herbals. It's not my wheelhouse, but it's just worth right. mentioning that it's got quite a bit of press behind it. That's great. Mm. Thank you. That's very helpful. That's really helpful. And Erin, do you find any differences between men and women and their relationship with food? I would, I would say, I mean, in the sense that 90% of my clients are women. women yeah. That right there tells you that women are a bit more maybe uh, in tune with their body is not functioning optimally. I would, I would chalk that up to the fact that women learn very early on to be in tune with their bodies. Right? Yes. As soon as we start our first cycle, we're like, okay, on the first of the month, I feel like this. On the 15th, I feel like this. On the 28th, I feel like this. And we know what's coming and we can tell, oh, I'm emotional because it's, you know, we know, like we're really, really in tune. Um, where men don't quite have that sort of cyclical approach. Or some people think that they do, but maybe it's on a lesser scale. Um, so we, we seem to be just more aware when our wellness takes a turn. We seem to be more aware when we feel off, when a food afflicts us in a certain way, when our sleep pattern is out of whack. Um, well, male clients, um, they often didn't even really know they were feeling bad. Their wife told them to come and see me a lot of the times. Um, but, but the male clients that I have had, it's like I mentioned before, they, they didn't really realize they were feeling bad until they started feeling better. Yeah. Because they just didn't have that kind of connection to the signals that women do. And I, I, I and that's just my opinion. Um, but I think that makes sense, right? Like we're just, women are just a bit more in tune with the nuances of, of the feelings of our body, right? Yeah, makes sense. So sugar is an inf inflammatory. It's an inflamer. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, why didn't I know this? Oh, because I was on the fat, bad, fat is bad bandwagon. I didn't learn anything about sugar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, when you kind of frame it like that, well, I don't want to put anything in my body that's going to exacerbate, you know, inflame it in any way. So, so I thought, yeah, well, oh. probably worth mentioning for our listeners out there. That Joanne, one of the things yeah. I noticed when I stopped eating a lot of sugar, and you know, now that I'm on thinking about carbohydrates after this call, I'll <laughs> rethink that even further. But when I stopped eating a lot of refined sugar. I used to wake up in the morning and I'd get up and I'd feel stiff. 
Like I'd feel like, yeah. And after about, I don't know, a couple of months of not eating sugar, I never feel that anymore. Like I don't feel mm. that when I wake up, that stiff feeling that people often say as they age, they, you know, they feel stiff. And I think that's, that's part of it. 100%. Well, the joint stiffness is the obvious uh, symptom of a better term that, that, that points to inflammation. I mean, when we think mm, of inflammation, we, we think of inflamed joints, we think of stiff joints, but there's actually something bigger at play there. And that, that it ultimately comes down to um, your intestinal health and it's, it's how it influences your immune system. Um, and again, this is a big Pandora's box, but, but yeah, sugar, wheat, dairy, and soy are, are sort of the four foods that are generally considered to be inflammatory to most people. Now, uh, I mentioned wheat, but for my money, I would take out all of the cereal grains because, you know, wheat has that really popular, well-known protein in it that everybody knows about, mm-hmm. gluten. <laughs> and all of the cereal grains have a gluten-like protein in them. Like, they all have a similar molecule in them to gluten. Right. So they're, they're, no, they're, they're, they're as inflammatory as gluten is. So what happens when we're, when we're taking in these foods is it's aggravating our gut lining. Um, because because they're just inflammatory bad foods that our, our gut lining really has no idea what to do with. And when the gut lining becomes inflamed, the, all the immune system knows is that something's going wrong. Like the immune system's a really obedient little system in the body, very obedient, very good at its job. It's like, oh my gosh, the gut lining is inflamed. Let's get out there. Let's see what's happening. So the immune system deploys, tries to see what's going on, what's attacking the gut. And it can't find anything because there's there's nothing attacking the gut. It's just whatever you had eaten is attacking the gut. So the immune system starts kind of poking and prodding at the gut lining. And again, I'm really <laughs> simplifying the science here. <laughs> and, and the immune system actually exacerbates the inflammation of the intestines. And then the intestinal lining becomes permeable. Undigested food particles come out into your bloodstream. And now we've got infl- inflammatory components in our bloodstream, which is why your joints would hurt. Your joints, sorry, get stiff because there's now inflammatory components in your blood. But mm. previous to them getting in your blood, they were trapped in your gut. So we have to try to heal the gut lining. Um, and we have to try to mellow out our immune system to let it like sort of retreat back into its little bunker to actually await actual illnesses by viruses, bacteria. We don't want our immune system deploying to attack our own bodies because we've eaten a, an inflammatory food. So that's just Ooh. another reason why you want to take that crap out because it's it, it's actually it's actually really impacting your immunity. If your immune system is busy uh, fiddling with your intestinal lining, it can't go and fight a cold virus, a flu virus, whatever it might be. It's preoccupied, right? So uh, it's, a, again, um, a Pandora's box. Yeah, uh, yeah wow. there are very inflammatory yeah. foods. And some people are... are some people have sensitivities to certain like really specific foods and that, you know, that's where you go to your naturopathic doctor and get blood drawn and they'll tell you these are, these foods are sensitivities to you. And if you eat those foods, they are inflammatory for you. Um, but if you don't have the, the time or the money or the desire to go and get that blood test done, you can really just eliminate the things that are generally known to be inflammatory. And those are the, the four mm-hmm. that I mentioned, mm-hmm. cereal grains, sugar, dairy, and soy. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I think that, there is so much for us to think about from this conversation. And when we started, Joanne said, we have to have you back. And I agree completely. <laughs> like we just started to, I, I just feel like this is so much for our, for me and I'm sure for people listening to process and to think about. And the timing of having you on the beginning of January, I think is great for our listeners because as you said, so many people are, you know, they, we use that, that kind of cycle of the beginning of the year to look at the changes we want to make in our life. So it's great. The conventional wisdom, which is what we've been led to believe and we've preached in our, our fitness careers, it just didn't work. It didn't work for us. It didn't work for anybody. So if, if what you're trying isn't working, then I just hope everybody would try something different, whether it's my approach or some other approach. But if what you're doing isn't working, just try something else. Like what's the worst that can happen? It's just food, right? Exactly. If listeners could do, if you saw someone in the gym and said, hey, what's one thing I could do today that would just help me feel better? What would that be? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I have so many tips I like to give people. Um, I already mentioned that that shifting shifting your fuel source toward fat and protein and away from carbohydrate Mm -hmm. is is a change that will make most people feel better in terms of uh, uh, energy, appetite, sort of cravings 
hunger, mood, and and weight loss ultimately, which I think most people will feel better if they just get their body's fuel in check. Um, so I'd say that and take a probiotic. Oh, oh good. I'm glad you mentioned that because I had on the here like, under my other questions if we had time was other supplements and stuff. So take a probiotic. Okay. That's great. Yeah. yeah. What about vitamin D, fish oil? <laughs> Any comments? Yep, yep, yep. Yep, yep, yep. yep. <laughs> I, I don't do a lot of supplementation no. prescription in my practice because, again, to me, it's just a little bit fussy or it can get a yeah. little fussy. But five supplements I would encourage everybody to take would be an omega-3 fatty acid, a probiotic, vitamin D, magnesium, and a good multivitamin. Ah, okay. And that's it. If you take that or even a, a, a smattering of those would be helpful. But to specifically where the omega-3 and the probiotic are concerned, which are my two favorites, by, by the way, um, they need to be taken with some regularity because they, they have a sort of a cumulative effect. But right. that's those five really represent the, the biggest sort of deficiencies in our modern diets. Mm, that's, that's awesome, Erin. And now how can people get hold of you if they want some help through altering their relationship with food? I think a great place to start would be to follow me on social media, uh, at Facebook. Most of my social media accounts are Eat Simple YYC, which is the Calgary airport code, um, <laughs> as well as my website, eatsimple.ca. Uh, my blog is relatively frequently updated there. Uh, I don't take a lot of clients one-on-one -on -one anymore, but I, I really, really geek out on just the broad outreach, of, like sharing of information and dispensing information so that people can kind of take it and figure it out for themselves that would be my honestly my happiest triumph in life is if people could take control of the health of their health themselves much like I did it's a really liberating uh, liberating experience to to figure your own health out having said that I am available for uh, the occasional client here and there that is Awesome. Yes. Thank well, you so much. I yeah. have a lot to think about and um, I'm sure that you'll see um, me liking and friending you and doing all those things <laughs> on social media in the next few days. <laughs> you might see you might see a horse or two there, Sandy. Yes, so you can, yeah. You can like her horses too. I will. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> so Life Reframers, we hope this has been really helpful. Leave a comment on our Facebook page or get in touch and, uh, and follow Erin and good luck with your journey. Hi, Life Reframers. Did you enjoy our episode today? If so, please leave a review on iTunes or Google Play. Also, check us out on all our social media avenues via reframeyourlife.ca.